My name's David. Uh, if we haven't met, hello. Um, I am a, a teacher by trade, uh, not a preacher. Uh, and we just finished exams. I'm a high school teacher. Uh, and so I've been giving and grading a lot of exams. And so I figured the only appropriate way to start this morning was with a quiz, pop quiz, right? Because this is what teachers do, because we love our students and we want to terrorize them. Anyway, that's not true. But anyway, um, so pop quiz, pop quiz. Um, it's all about the story of the birth of Jesus. So maybe this is a new story to you and you'll have no idea. And maybe uh, this is a story you've heard many times before. So we'll see how, how you do. Uh, fill in the blank. On their journey... From Nazareth to Bethlehem, this was the mode of transportation that Mary used. Any guesses? Donkey. Very good. Um, wrong, but good answer. Good answer. Um, actually, we don't know. Right? There's nowhere in the Bible does it give us an indication that Mary rode a donkey, despite that picture. Right? Like... Um, it, because you care, I'll pretend right now, uh, that actually comes from a, a, a gospel called the Gospel of James. It's written 150 years after Jesus. That's not in our Bibles. Uh, there's a whole piece in there about Mary getting on a donkey and riding it. Um, so that's like the first piece of evidence that we find about why all of a sudden Mary's on a donkey. Uh, riding a donkey isn't quite like owning a Cadillac in the first century, but you know, I don't know what Maybe it's not a Tesla. I don't know. And moving on, I don't know cars. Um, but like, that would be, you'd have to be quite wealthy if you owned a donkey to use it as a mode of transportation. And so it would be unique for them because actually later in the story that we won't get to today, uh, Mary and Joseph have to present Jesus at the temple um, and, and give offerings, one, for the purification of Mary, and two, to buy Jesus back. And Leviticus 12 outlines what they have to do. They have to sacrifice a lamb and uh, some a, a dove. Or it says, if you're not wealthy, you can offer two doves or two pigeons. And we're told that they offer two pigeons. So right there, it tells us that they were not well off. So maybe applying a donkey to their mode of transportation maybe isn't as accurate to the story. Not like it, not like it really matters, right? But just so we're trying to let the Bible speak on its own terms. Uh, that's interesting that we've interpreted or put in like into our imaginations, at least, of this moment of the birth of Jesus, it starts with, you know, just riding on a donkey. Anyway, okay, question number two. It's, it's, it's a two-question quiz, so it's not very long, thankfully, because I've been talking a lot. Um, question number two. How pregnant was Mary when they got to Bethlehem? Very, very usually, right? Like this is, or maybe sometimes in terms of, she was great with child. Um, Maybe, right? Again, we, we don't know. We don't know. Uh, it just says, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. How, we don't know how long they were there. We don't know if they made the, you know, 90-ish mile journey on foot, maybe, or maybe on a donkey. Again, we don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. Uh, but maybe they made that journey when she was four months pregnant. Um, we don't know. But again, we, we usually see her like they're just crossing the, you know, town border into Bethlehem, and it's like, water breaks, baby time. It may be, right? Maybe. We, we don't know. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But this morning, let's just get into that story, right? A story of the birth 
of Jesus. A story that, again, maybe you have heard uh, once or never or hundreds of times. But let's enter into that story on its terms in the way in which at least the gospel writer of Luke was hoping to get his audience to hear and, and, and understand and also, I think, feel a lot of tension within. I'm going to have a couple of kids come up and help us with the story as it is a, a beautiful and innocent story. Uh, and it's also intimate. And so we'll hear it through their voices um, in English and in Spanish. And so listen to the word of the Lord from the book that we love. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was the governor of Assyria. And everybody went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went to the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her first son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the flocks nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of God shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will, cause, that will cause you great joy from all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven. In, er, on earth, peace to those whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they had spread the word concerning what they had um, been told and what about this child. And all who heard were amazed, and and the shepherds said to them, En esa época, el emperador de Roma ordenó un censo de todos los pueblos sobre los que gobernaba. Todos los ambientes de la tierra dominadas por Roma debían volver a su patria para ser censados. María y José tenían que viajar hasta Belén, la ciudad de antepasado de José, David. Cuando llegaron, estaban cansados y buscando despresamente una habitación donde pasar la noche, porque había llegado el momento de que nacería el bebé de María, pero la ciudad estaba repleta. Todos los posados estaban llenas. Por fin un posador les llevó a un establo y ahí nació el bebé de María. Lo envolvió en pañales y luego lo recostó suavemente sobre paja limpia en el pesebre. María y José miraban a su hijo con alegría. Se llamaron Jesús, tal como el ángel les había dicho. 
Esa misma noche, un ángel se apareció a unos pastores en las colinas cerca de Belén y les dijo, os traigo buenas noticias. Hoy en la ciudad de David os ha nacido un Salvador. En ese es el Mesías. El Señor, id a verlo con nuestros propios ojos, lo encontráis acostado en, en un pesebre. Entonces el cielo se llenó de ángeles que adoraban a Dios. Cuando los ángeles se hubieron marchado, los pastores fueron corriendo a Belén, donde encontraron al bebé acostado en, en un pesebre, tal como les había dicho. Y después de verlo y arrodillarse ante él, fueron enseguida a contar a todo el mundo la maravillosa noticia. Amen. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, guys. I'm expecting applause after the sermon, now after that. I'm just kidding, not really. That'd be awkward. Moving on. Um, what a story, right? What a story. And what happens when we just let ourselves wade soul deep into that story and wonder what God is up to in this moment? And, and particularly the way in which, again, Luke is beginning to create some tension, at least for his audience, of is this really... Is this really the way that God has decided to bring about salvation to a broken world? Because it seems odd. And Luke wants us to start feeling that tension right off the bat in the way that he introduces the narrative and the character that he places at the beginning of it. It was in those days, Emperor Caesar Augustus. This is Caesar who unified all of Rome. This is Caesar who reigned as emperor from 27 B.C. to 14 A.D. A Caesar who was given a whole host of titles, one of which was the peace bringer and the savior of the world. And it's that character that Luke wants you to hold in tension as he's now going to introduce a different option, a different savior, a different peace bringer. And you have to decide, I have to decide, as so do the first readers of this story, which one do we buy? Which one of these is actually the savior of the world? Let's come back actually to the story of Caesar in a moment. Let's see how the rest of this story plays out. Joseph, we're told, has to go and register in Bethlehem uh, because of a census. Census, we have lots of records, uh, historical records of census being given within the Roman Empire long before Caesar Augustus took over. They were often quite spotty, and yet one of the things that Caesar did was to kind of streamline that system as a way to tax the people. Right? Caesar got a lot of his power through his ingenious way to organize people to create a ridiculous amount of cash flow for the empire. And so that's what Joseph is doing. He's going to Bethlehem from Nazareth, so about 90 miles north, Nazareth is, traveling south to the city of Bethlehem, about seven, eight miles south of Jerusalem. It's a pretty good trek. And he's going there to register, which is strange, right? I mean, like, if we were going to decide taxation today, and I was born in Holland, Michigan, not far away, and 
the, let's say the cities of Michigan were trying to decide how to tax the people, they wouldn't want me to go back to Holland, like Wyoming wants my tax flow, right? Because like, this is where I live. And so it's curious because in all the Roman uh, data that we have about census, nowhere did it ask people to leave where they lived and go to where they were born. The only reason that we can think, at least historically, if we're just letting this story unfold and the information that we have, the only reason that Joseph would have to go back to Bethlehem is if he owned land there still. That for some reason, Joseph had moved up north to the Nazareth region, maybe the region because of work, maybe, uh, because of a city that was being built within eyesight of where Nazareth is. Maybe he moved up there for work, but still owned land actually down in Bethlehem. So he has to go there because land ownership uh, dictates your taxes. Maybe no home there, of course, on that land because later they have nowhere to stay. And yet maybe that's what brings Joseph back down. Again, probably not wealthy. And yet they move all the way down and enter back into Bethlehem, the place where David, the great king of Israel from about a century prior, had come from. And it's from that place that the prophets had said over and over, it's from here, it's from this place geographically, and it's from this line, the line of David, that this Messiah will come. More on that title in a moment, too. Let's keep going. And so they went there to register down to Bethlehem, again, maybe because of land ownership, because he was pledged to be married to Mary. So she came along, and they registered together. But she was expecting a child. As Luke is starting to create a tension for the the audience to understand who is the rightful Savior, this is a pivot point in Luke's narrative. It's here that we're introduced to the idea, at least in Luke's narrative, as it it continues to unfold, that this child that Mary is carrying is not Joseph's kid. There's a word for that in Hebrew. It's called a mamzer. We have a word for it in English, too, that I won't use because the children are in the room. But you know what it is. And a mamzer is outlined actually in Deuteronomy 23. What should, what should we do with an illegitimate child? Illegitimate either because it was born of a Roman man and a Hebrew woman. Illegitimate because we do not know the paternity of the child. Or illegitimate, for the third reason, illegitimate because we do know the paternity of this child and it's not holy. It's not the way God has ordained it to be. Regardless of the reason of the illegitimacy of the birth of this child, Deuteronomy 23 tells us that that child shall never enter the assembly of God nor his children up to 10 generations deep. For about 300 years, the line of a mamzer, an illegitimate child, for 300 years shall never enter into the assembly of God. And yet, that's this story. Now again, Luke has told us what the, what the paternity of this child is that Mary is carrying. It's been done through the Holy Spirit that God Himself has brought life into the womb of Mary because it's His Son. And yet, as they show up there in Bethlehem, at what point in time, we're uncertain. 
And as they start wondering where it is that they will stay, it's with this background story of this young girl named Mary, pledged to be married, but not yet married to Joseph, coming into Joseph's hometown, and in her womb is, in their mind at least, a mamzer. Seems like a strange way to convince an audience who is being ruled by Caesar Augustus that this one now is the savior of the world. They start walking around in that village of Bethlehem, small town, population 300 about is what we can guess. And as they start looking, we realize there is not a single guest room available to them. Go back to last week's sermon. You can hear Pastor Jordan uh, talking about that with some pictures about what that might have looked like in that first century context. It's odd, though, that this is just, this is family. Family lives here. This is Joseph. Why in the world is no one, regardless of how pregnant Mary is when she got there, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. Why in the world did no one let her in? Hospitality in the first century ancient world is of highest virtues. There was a moment that when I was studying in this land, in 2001, we got dropped off near the Dead Sea, and we were hiking across the Judean wilderness over a course of two days to end up in Bethlehem. And as we were walking, unbeknownst to us, we happened across some Bedouins' land, a a, a nomadic people still living in that region that move around. And because we had walked across their land, we had to go into their tent And they made us coffee and tea and pita. And I thought for a hot second there that they were going to kill the fattened calf for us. And we're like, no, we're good. We got lots of food in our packs, right? Still, in 2001, and still today, hospitality is of highest virtue. By walking across their land, I had to go and eat with them. You know, the same thing that happens when someone walks across my yard. I'm like, you must come in, right? Get off my lawn! Not really. I hope I don't yell at you. Anyway... But that's because when you're hospitable in the ancient mind, that brings honor to your family. Because you welcome in someone who is in a state of chaos, someone who is hurting on the outside. When you welcome them in, that brings honor to your family. Honor lasts for generation to generation. So too does shame. And so if I don't let someone in, that will bring shame on my family. You can go to many cultures still today in Africa and in Asia where the honor-shame code is still of highest of virtues. They would understand this story better than I would as a West Michigander my whole life. And yet it's in this story that for some reason they're willing to bring shame on themselves by not letting them in. Again, maybe culturally that's giving us a clue that welcoming in a mamzer will bring more shame on your family than not being hospitable. Luke is building a tension here for us that will it be this child, this illegitimate child of Mary and this fellow Joseph who's from our town, we're still going to keep him outside because that would bring more shame than letting him in. And there were shepherds 
living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. This is Luke's little cultural cue for us of when this took place. There's only a two-week period in the whole calendar that shepherds are out in the fields. Fields are farmers' fields. It's not just like the pasture land where the sheep will graze for the vast majority of the year. It's in the farmer's field. And what happens is as soon as farmers go into their field to harvest their field, there's two weeks after the harvest that gleaners, outsiders, the poor, this is their, 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 their social security system here, go in and pick up anything that the farmer left. In Leviticus 19, God tells us that farmers are not to harvest the corners of their fields and anything that they drop is also not to be picked up because that too is for the outsider. So after the farmer goes in, leaves their corners, wide or narrow, that's up to you. Nobody nobody tells you how big your corners need to be. God just says, be generous and don't harvest the corners of your field. Just know that every other farmer next door to you can see your corners. It's kind of like, you know, when we posted all the, the giving from last week's offering on the screen, and who gave, oh no, we didn't do that. That would be interesting. Um, but that's what this is like. Everyone can see how generous you are. And he says, leave those corners for the poor, the outsider, the needy. So when they come in, there's plenty for them to be had. They have two weeks to come into the fields and take anything and everything that they need. And after that, the shepherds come into the fields for the next two weeks. And that, again, is mutually beneficial to both shepherd and farmer as the sheep, you know, wander around in the field and they start eating the stubble from what was harvested and it kind of loosens the dirt as they walk around and then they naturally fertilize the field as well. And so this is good. So we're looking at about two weeks to four weeks after harvest. And that's probably somewhere mid-October is when the story of the birth of Jesus maybe takes place. Or December 25, I don't know. Uh, but probably October. But anyway, um, Roman holiday, moving on. History, you just Google it. Okay, shepherds. Shepherds are low-class folks. These are people typically, despite the fact that if you've been a student of the Bible for years, we have some shepherds in our story. David himself was out shepherding when Samuel came to anoint him as king. Moses was out shepherding out the, his father-in-law's sheep when God came to him in a burning bush. So for us, maybe if you've been reading this story, you're like, oh, shepherds, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a good job. This is, this is very, this, these are often seen as thieves, as robbers, as outsiders, dirty. And this is who this news comes to first. The story of a born baby to at least the people in Bethlehem, a mamzer, an illegitimate child, coming to the outside class of the shepherds. And the angels say, let's go. Let's go to Bethlehem. Because there is a Mashiach born. Mashiach is the Hebrew word that we translate Messiah. Or Christos in Greek, which is the same word, which means anointed. Jesus Christ isn't his, that's not his last name, Christ. It's Jesus the anointed one. Jesus the Messiah, the Christos. 
Messiah, the anointed one. We get that back from Exodus chapter 30. When there, after the people of God have been made a covenant, God says, you know what? You need to make some, some special oil. Oil that will be made of mostly of olive oil, but then ingredients like myrrh, which the kings end up bringing later on in the story, at least in, in Matthew's story. With cassia and cinnamon, it almost becomes a syrup of sorts that then is another Hebrew word, meshach, smeared onto some things, painted on. And when those things are painted in Exodus chapter 30, they become holy, made pure. And when you go to the places where holy things or pure things are, you are made pure pure. The holiness from what was anointed spreads and purification comes and holiness comes and emits because everything that is anointed, smeared with this anointing oil in Exodus chapter 30, is the tabernacle itself. The place where God says, I am going to come and dwell among you. I'm going to come near. And now it's a baby that's anointed. That's messiahed, smeared with an oil, chosen by God to be the holy one, the pure one. That from this baby, purity and holiness will emit. And it's shepherds that get the first experience. Because these shepherds are transformed. They come into the very presence of this baby, born in a manger, and they're like, we got to tell everybody. But who is going to believe them? They're the outsider. They're the low class. And they're going to go and tell the people, oh, don't worry. An illegitimate kid was born today in Bethlehem. You should believe us that he's the Savior, not this Caesar fella. Personal opinion. If I were to write a story of the way in which to convince a people to believe this story, that is not how I would start. Everything in Luke 2, 1 through 19 should tell me culturally this story is not believable. And that's the way God decided to start. Because Caesar had other titles. Caesar was called God Caesar was called Son of God. Caesar was called Father. But now it's through this baby who was born fatherless, at least to the people in the first hearing of it, was going to be the one who we, still today, could have access to the Father. It's through this Mamzer in their minds that Jesus comes and says to those among us who are outsiders, Mamzers, people who have been left out, marginalized by our world, or maybe even worse, marginalized by the church. And Jesus says, I'm here for you. I have come that you might have access to this God, this Father to the fatherless. I have come so that you might have salvation because it's from this baby that will emit purity and hope and love and holiness that will welcome in anyone and everyone who's willing to come and tune a listening ear 
to these shepherds that Christmas morning. It's a hard story, if I'm honest, for me to believe, and I'm sure it was even a harder story for that original audience to believe. And yet, thanks be to God, they did. Because at least I, and I think you, are here today because of their witness. And so as we now move into Christmas tomorrow, come to that manger. Come to that baby who was born in their minds as as an illegitimate child, but it's because of his presence that you and I are welcomed into this story. So as he comes, and as we celebrate his birth this Christmas season, keep coming back to that manger. Keep coming back in your heart and mind. Keep coming back to, to this place as we celebrate new life and birth next week through baptism. Keep coming back and just wonder, along with those shepherds and those people that the shepherds told, in, in no way reason should this be true, but it's the truth that we've all been waiting for. So fall on your knees in awe and wonder at a story that God is going to start yet again this year on Christmas morning. Because from this, we have been welcomed in. Believe this gospel and live in its peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.